0: Thank you, Matt, for that song. I was just thinking, from a human standpoint, it was a strange way, wasn't it? But from heaven's standpoint, it was the only way. And uh, we needed him to die for us, and what a great story there in that song. And so Esther chapter 6, if you'll be turning there. Men, let me have your attention right quick. You have one week to do it. All right, you can't wait till Friday. All right, it's going to be gone by then. All right. So you've got one week to make that purchase. Ladies, you, they've, had, they've had it since probably June. Okay. So we know how y'all work. So you got six or seven days left and don't think you'll slide in on Friday afternoon after work. And then all of a sudden I got to pick it up. So you've got just a few days left. So as Colin said, it is, I love this time of the year and I hope that you are having a great Christmas so far. We've been celebrating Christmas since the first of November. <laughs> I mean, our tree's been up since the first of November, and so we kind of go through both through, through uh, two months of that. So uh, I hope you're enjoying it as well too. Esther chapter number six this morning. We're continuing in our in our series, and I really look forward to this chapter and and hope can do it just a little bit of justice this morning. And speaking of Christmas and gifts, do you recall back to a certain Christmas where Let's be a little bit unspiritual just for a second where you got the gift that you wanted. Not the gift that you, well, okay, I'll take it. But the gift that you asked for, whether it was from a parent, whether it was from a spouse. But you got it. You got, you got the one. Uh, and you, you enjoyed it. You, you loved that, whatever it was. But th- has there ever been a time in your life when you said to yourself, when you didn't get what you thought you deserved, man, that 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 should have been me. I, so, something happened. You, you say, I, I work for it. I've, I put the time in. I've waited and I've waited. And you didn't get it. And you said, man, that should have been me. Now, once that happens and a little... They say hindsight's always 20-20, a little experience comes around, time rolls around and usually we say, man, I'm, some, some things happen, we're like, well, I'm glad that didn't happen to me. But sometimes in our, in our pride, as Colin mentioned last week, in our flesh, maybe just in a moment of weakness, we say, man, that was for me. And maybe in that little time of questioning and you felt like, well, people forgot me, I'm not important. I'm lost in the mix. And you thought, well, I just didn't get the honor that I deserved. That is where the story changes today in Esther chapter number 6. I hope this is not something that you could say. This is a little bit of a, got a little bit of a funny to it, but then it's really sad too. There was a lady on her 60th birthday now, she was from, from Brooklyn, and she was preparing her last will and testament, and so she was taking care of that. And then she went to her pastor, and she said, Pastor, I've got two requests from you as I'm going through this last will and testament. I've got two things that I want you to do for me. The first one is this. I want to be cremated. And he said, oh, okay, we can definitely. That's no problem whatsoever. And she said, the second thing is this. After you cremate me, I want you to take my ashes and I want you to spread them. Now, she's in Brooklyn. She said, I want you to spread through them through the, through the store of Bloomingdale's. And he's like, what in the world? And he said, yes. He goes, because I know this. If you spread my ashes through Bloomingdale's, I know that my daughters will at least visit me twice a week. <laughs> now, that's we get a little chuckle out of that, but that's kind of a sad thing. Uh, I hope hope that's not how we honor people in in those last moments, but sometimes just through the lives that we live, don't we we kind of forget people sometimes, and it's not their fault, it's not necessarily our fault, it's just kind of what happens through, through our life. Hopefully that's not the story that you're trying to provide for somebody that you're going to honor. So today, in Esther chapter number six, we find honor where honor is due. The pivot, the hinge point is here and we're looking in a different direction. We finally see the story change from good to bad. I almost thought about, I had several titles for this. The first title, I thought, was When God Gets the Last Laugh. I thought about that as a title, but he does, and it's evident that he's in control of all the events that have took place so far. Let me just give you a quick review of what has happened in the first five chapters. In chapter one, we saw this what this so called all powerful king Ahasuerus was ready to be propped up, and uh, he needed outside advice from things that were going on, getting counsel, but really in that we saw was weakness. In chapter number two, the mood began to change. The party is over, so to speak, and the unique, and Esther found her in some unique circumstances where she was now queen. We began to feel the ache for God's people, and yet God's name is nowhere to be found in the narrative thus far. In chapter 3, as in every good story, a villain appears. Haman has devised a plot to destroy the Jews, and now we find ourselves very sorrowful for God's people. And we ask ourselves this question, how's God's people going to make it through this? Are they going to live? Is it, is it going to work? Chapter 4, Mordecai begins to mourn, begs Esther to go before the king, She doesn't know her lineage yet, and her life could be the payment for the news that she bears to the king. Chapter number five, last week, Colin brought us to a banquet. It says, uh, we thought when we got to the banquet that Esther was going to bear her heart, and kind of, all right, king, this 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 is what needs to happen. Instead, we just come to a banquet, and now... Mordecai is closer and closer to those gallows that have been made for him at the end of chapter number five. Let's pick up. Let's read this short chapter, only 14 verses this morning, and look at the narrative and where we find ourselves. I want to start in verse 14, just to kind of leave off or, or begin, leave off from where we was that last week, but you'll notice that then said Zeresh. That's, of course, Haman's wife and all his friends unto him. Let a gallows be made of 50 cubits high. We'll have more to say about those gallows at the end. And tomorrow, speaking to the king, that Mordecai may be hanged thereon, then go thou in merrily with the king into the banquet. And the king pleased Haman and caused the gallows to be made. So that's where we kind of left off. Now we go to chapter number 6, verse number 1. And it says this, that on that night... Uh, could not the king sleep. He commanded to bring the book of records, a book of history, a book of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bichthana and Teresh, two of king's chamberlains and the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hands on king Ahasuerus. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants and that minister unto him, Nothing. And the king said, "Who's in the court?" He's looking for advice again. Haman just happened to be in the court. Haman was in the court on the outward part of the court in the king's house, to speaking to the king. To he had different news that he wanted to give. He said he wanted to hang Mordecai on the gallows that had been prepared for him. And the king's servant said to him, "Behold, Haman standeth in the court." And the king said, "Let him come in." So Haman came in, and the king said to him, "What shall be done unto the man?" Whom the king delighteth to honor. Now, in my mind, I can imagine as Haman walks in, he's like, all right, here we go. Let me go get my stuff. <laughs> I'm going to get all my stuff. Let me get all my stuff here. And I didn't even catch this till this morning. And I was listening. I, I listen to the Bible a lot. And, and the Bible app that I have is, is a dramatic reading. And sometimes it's funny, but sometimes it's like, oh, maybe it could have happened like that. And, I, and it's right there in black and white, but th- it just didn't hit me till this morning. What shall be done unto the man, the king, delight us to honor? Notice this next few words. Now, Haman thought in his where? His heart. And that hit me this morning that that really, as Colin talked about last week, a comparison and contrast of humility and pride That's really where that seed of pride begins to grow. It's within our heart, and it begins to bloom. It gets in our mind, and then the fruition of it comes about. Let's continue to read. To whom would the king delight to do honor more than to myself? And Watch what happens. Haman's putting on the dog here, okay? Haman answered to the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honor, he said, Let the royal apparel be brought to the king that useth to wear And the horse that the king rideth upon, the crown royal which is set upon his head, let his apparel and the horse be delivered into the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor and bring him on horseback through the street of the city. Proclaim before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. It's a pretty good good way to come in, isn't it? (laughs) Then the king said to Haman, hurry up, make haste. Take the apparel, do the horse, and thou hast said, and I just can't help but laugh. And to do even so to Mordecai the Jew. Could you imagine? I would, man, if if I was ever a fly on a wall, I would want to you imagine what his face, I mean, just like drop like, huh? Wait. (laughs) What about me? What what about what about me? First time that the king actually refers to Mordecai as a Jew in verse number 10. And he says, That sitteth at the king's gate, let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. Then took Haman the apparel, the horse, arrayed Mordecai. Could you imagine? Here's your coat. Here's the horse. I mean, could you imagine? Through the street of the city, proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. <laughs> and Mordecai came into the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house. Now who's mourning? Having his head covered. Guess what? He goes back and talks to Zeresh and all of his friends again. They have a different story this time. Why didn't you, why couldn't you give me some of this just 24 hours earlier, Okay. Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had befallen him. <laughs> then said his wise men and Zeresh, his wife, unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast given begun to fall, it says, Thou shalt not prevail against him. Thou shalt surely fall. You don't have a shot. You remember what all has got. You, you remember some of this. You don't, you don't have a shot. And while they were yet talking with him, came the king's chamberlains, and hasted to bring Haman into the banquet that Esther had prepared. Pray pray with me this morning, if you would. Father, we thank you for your word. God, what a story that we have this morning, God. I pray that you would help me, Lord, as we try to give this, to, to realize that, Lord, you are in control of every single aspect of our lives. Lord, you care for us. You walk with us. You watch us. In despite of any circumstances that we may have, Lord, we see that you're in control. And help us as your people to give into that and give our life to you. Help those that may be here that don't know who you are, that don't know you in a free pardon of sin, would help them to give their life to you this morning. We thank you for that. Your name we do pray. Amen. Well, here we are. We're in chapter 6. We come to this hinge point, the pivot of the story. And finally, we get to see who the hero of the story is. It wasn't Mordecai. It wasn't Esther. It was the unseen character of God himself. He is going to have his way. And remember this. God can choose who he wants to use. Let me remind you. Our lives only have significance when we realize one thing, that there's a bigger story that's going on just beside what is around us. And when we realize that that bigger picture is a picture of redemption, then our story, we learn to fit in his story. That's where the puzzle piece fits. And Remember this, God can choose to use a broken person. He can choose to use a sinful person. He can use that unrighteous person to get him exactly what he wants to get done. I found this in chapter number 6 as I was studying this week, that there's a literary device to use called a chiasm. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, but really Scripture itself is a, is a chiasm. So what does that mean A chiasm is a literary structure where the words or themes of the first section of a passage are repeated in reverse order in a second part of the passage. Literally, it's a role reversal is what happens. And we see a chiasm herein. It's a mirror effect, it's a reflection, but just in in a unique order. Sometimes they call it a ring structure. Commonly speaking, this is sometimes when we'll use a chiasm, you know this, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. We've used those before in everyday life. There's another one that we use, it's uh, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. So we use those structures in everyday life, but here in scripture, God decides to use this to get his way, and you think about it, even scripture, and we'll mention more later, but... Even Christ on the cross, going to us, we'll get to today from gallows to glory, His redemptive story is a chasm. It's or it's a role reversal. So I was studying, I saw three things that I thought was very unique, and I, I, here I'll give all three of them to. You, then we'll break them down. The first one I saw was this: there is control in our lives over just coincidences happening, and that's God's providence in action. The second thing I saw was this. It's, uh, there's honor over homage in our life. I know those words sound a lot alike, but there is a difference. God's perfect, his, his perfect, uh, purpose is perfect in our life. And the third one is this one, and the one that I can't wait to get to today, but God turns gallows into glory, and we see his power on display. So the first one this morning is this. Control over coincidence. God is in control of over all our coincidences of life. His providence is in full action. Let's find a few. If you go through and enumerate, and there's about seven or eight, I'm just going to look at four of what we see as so-called coincidences. And let me encourage you, as I am talking, you think, where has that happened in my life? Where a coincidence has happened. But then you look back and you say, it was in your plan all along look at the first one it's in actually in verse number one and this may have been you even last night it said this on that night could not the king sleep you ever had those nights before those sleepless nights and in this situation It wasn't that the king ate something. He's like, I just didn't, you know, it wasn't wasn't bad Japanese, okay? That's what wasn't going on here, okay? We're not told why, but we know why. But the king couldn't sleep, and God said, I'm not going to let you go to sleep. How many times has that happened to you? You've worked, I mean, you've put in a good day's work. You've sweat. you've, You've been using the brain all day. You wake up at two thirty and you're wide awake and you're like, "Why can't I sleep?" And you're, okay, let me grab my phone. Let me kind of go through it. Let me go get some water. Nothing works, and you're laying there. And this is what happens. All right, God, I'm up. Let's let's talk a little bit. And you begin to pray, and it's in that prayer at three o'clock in the morning. That something comes to your mind, a family member, a trial, and you begin to pray, Lord. And then about 15, 20 minutes, your mind begins to settle, and you go off to sleep. And then two hours later, here's the alarm clock. Bam, there it goes again. And you're up. You go throughout your day, and it gets to be about 12, 1 o'clock, and you're like, man, I wish I could have slept a little bit more last night. And then that person, that event, that you prayed for at three o'clock that morning, someone comes up and says, "Man, I'm having." It kind of confirms that prayer that you prayed at two thirty in the morning. And then you think, "Wow, God, you have a way of doing things in an unusual way. He sure does. He has a way to get our attention, and he will do that if he needs to. If he needs to wake you up at two o'clock, he will. He does it other ways." This one, the king just couldn't sleep. Look at the second one. Now, if this doesn't put you to sleep, what in the world's going on, okay? No offense to you history majors out there, but it says, and he commanded to bring the book of records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. Now, when you're reading your Bible and you go through Chronicles, I am telling you, boy, that's a tough one. (laughs) God, why is this here? You start reading the Chronicles, man, I'd go to sleep real quick. But he wasn't asleep. He was intrigued because it just so happened that he had a story read to him about a man named Mordecai the Jew. So he couldn't sleep. He had a history book read to him. And now Mordecai has brought up in his remembrance, and it says this, and it was found written in verse number two, that Mordecai had told of Bithon and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains and the keepers of the door, who sought to lay hand On King Ahasuerus. And as he's sitting there having that read to him, no doubt a very dramatic reading. The plot was revealed and he says, what was done for Mordecai the Jew? There is nothing done for him. We got to fix that. We have to fix that right now. We have to fix that. All those good and bad things that come to pass in our life are a part of God's plan. A lot of times we read Romans 8.28, but I, I pulled in two more verses that goes before Romans 8.28. And Romans 8.28 still works. But look at verse number 26. It says this. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not, you've been there before? For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He knows exactly what we need. All those bad and good, they're part of his plan. And he searcheth, verse 27, the hearts that knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In verse 28, we're very familiar with, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are according to his purpose. He knows exactly what we need. He's got everything planned out for us. Even though we may not see him, the unseen hand of God is right there. The fourth thing I saw that was just a coincidence, but really God was in control, is in verse number four. Now, get in your mind this, Haman's on the way to the king, and man, I bet he has got a pep in his step. He's probably got his coat jacket, and he's kind of doing this, and he's like, man, I am coming to the king because it's time for Mordecai to die. Mordecai's going to die, the Jews are going to die, and then I'm going to a party. That sounds like a pretty good day. And the king said, who's in the court? And Haman came into the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's servant said to him, behold, Haman, standeth in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So is that just a coincidence or did God have those people there exactly where he wanted them? Yeah, he did. And let me tell you, in our lives, as things get a little bit crazy and we don't understand things, we got to realize that even in those moments, God is still in control. we got to find out what's going on. He's not winning anywhere. He still has that. That map is out in front. He's got your life planned, and he's got, that little, he's got you exactly where you want you, even though we don't understand, he is still in control. So number one. I see this. I see God's control over all our coincidences. Number two, I see this. A life of honor is better than a life of homage. And I see God's purpose is perfect. Now, there's two words here. Let's, let's define both. Honor and homage sound a lot alike, but there's one word that makes them different in the definition. Honor means this, regard with great respect. Homage means this, special honor or respect shown publicly. And here's the difference in our story of what happens between Haman and Mordecai. Haman wanted that recognition of the king. And when the king asked the question, Haman assumed that he met him. And I got thinking about this. I got thinking about assumptions in life. You ever got one wrong before? You ever been so blatantly wrong about someone or something? that you're like, I cannot believe my mind even went there. I got thinking about assumptions in life. Assumptions that are unfiltered or wrong can lead us to some certain places. It can lead us to a place of anger. They can make you look foolish. You ever stuck the old mouth, foot in the mouth before? You ever done that? Okay. They can bring about conflict and division. Something doesn't come true. We've told something that was wrong. They can short-circuit communication. James 1.19 says this, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. I heard someone say this, you need to check your assumptions at the door. <laughs> check your assumptions at the door. You ever, man, I've, you've done it, we've all done it. You're having that conversation, and we have to win all the arguments, right? We've, we've got to win all the arguments, and so I need to talk. Okay, go ahead and talk. But really, you're, while they're talking, you're not listening, all right? You are not listening. I'm not listening. And before that gets out of their mouth, you already have what you're going to say. Coworker, friend, spouse, parents. And all that does is bring more confusion, more miscommunication. Everybody's mad at one another. I found a, a couple assumption quotes that I thought was pretty good. It says, uh, somebody said this, your assumptions are your windows on the world scrub them off every once in a while or the light won't come in. <laughs> Clean them up a little bit. Okay, I'm getting it wrong a lot. And this one, I had to read this through a couple of times, when I read this, boy, it hit me. You know, when we come to church, we think when we come to church a lot of times that we got everything under control and, you know, we, we look the part, we look good, we say Christian things. I found this quote a person's character is shown through their actions in life not where they sit at on Sunday we think because we look the part we say good things we come and sit in a chair on Sunday that we everybody thinks well we've we've got it all together we automatically think that the person that's behind the pulpit, no matter, no matter who it is, well, they've got all their ducks in a row. Everything looks good. You say, well, that's kind of tough. Yeah, it is. That is rough. But you know what it is also? It's real. It's real. That's the real mud in the life of things. And we come to church, and we assume that everybody's okay. But I'm telling you this, Euphola. We need the help of the Holy Spirit every day. Every minute, attitudes can get wrong, behaviors can get wrong, and it takes literally the touch of God just to say, all right, take a breath. Let's get this thing going in the right direction again. In verse number 7, we find Haman on the wrong end of an assumption. The homage, listen to this, the homage that Haman revered was going to be the honor that Mordecai was rewarded with. Haman said, dress this person up like a king, treat him like a king, let him ride like a king. It would be like this. Imagine if the president of the United States, it's probably not the best illustration right now. <laughs> Let's just say the office. The office said, we want to reward somebody. They don't need money. They don't need any more power. What can we do? And that person comes to them and says, you know what I would like? Don't need money. Don't need power. I want to take Air Force One to my next destination. Can it fly me down to Mexico somewhere? Can it take me to the Bahamas? I want to fly in Air Force One. It would be like saying, let's go to Walmart in the presidential motorcade. And when I get out to go get my toilet paper, here I am. That's what it would have been like. It's a a modern-day translation of what's going on here. Some bold requests. And in verse number 9, it says, Let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes. Little did Haman know that that noble official was going to be him to pass this out. I read where a pastor said this, that we need to learn to honor in three ways. He says we need to honor up. We need to honor down and we need to honor all around. What does that mean? When we honor up, we honor those that are in authority. We honor God. Proverbs 3 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance, with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. He said, Honor God. Honor God's word. Honor those who have gone before us. Honor our leaders. Honor your parents. I was uh, asking Matt this morning and Colin, Pastor. Clarence Sexton passed away this week. I'm assuming you some are are familiar with him. He was the pastor of Temple Baptist Church and the president of Crown College there in Tennessee. And Scott Paula, the evangelist, wrote a little tribute to him. It was called The Reflections of the Homegoing of a Spiritual Father. I thought, man, he did a great job. I'm just just a, a small excerpt of what he said. He says, when I began to travel in the early days, Pastor Sexton would tell me that the most important thing I could do in any church was simply be an encouragement to the pastor. If you help the pastor, you help all those he ministers to. For the last eight years, I have simply tried to take what I heard, witnessed, learned, and experienced in one great church and pass it on to the hundreds of others uh, other churches. This is the last line that I thought was so awesome. He said, his legacy is a constant reminder of one man's life that can set so much in motion. Man, what a way to honor somebody. It wasn't the apparel. It was just a simple life led for the Lord that touched so many others. We honor up. We honor down. Our children, those that work alongside of us, the next generation that's coming, we honor down. We honor all around. We got to honor each other. We need to think of others more important than we do ourselves. Philippians 2, 3 says that, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in the lowliness of mind, They'll each just seem other better than themselves. Romans 12.10 says, Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Learn to be a person that gives honor and humbly, this is another message, and you humbly receive honor. I've seen men before that are just so backwards that they can't take something that's good. There's a good and a bad way to do that. But we want honor over homage, the, the public recognition. God's in control of our coincidences. Live a life of honor over a life of homage, and thoroughly the last one. And man, this one was, this one was good. I had a church member come up to me, um, oh, was, was it last Sunday? Last Sunday. They said, Coleman, you got chapter number six coming up. And they said, Have you ever studied any about the gallows in Esther chapter number six? And I said, Well, no, I haven't. And I said, I'm Getting ready to, <laughs> but I haven't. So I began, I'm, I'm, that, that night, I went back on my phone and I just put Haman's gallows. And I began to look because when we think of gallows, we think of like the Old West. That's what we think. This is not what it was. This was a place of, of public humiliation. Number three, we see God turn gallows into glory. God's power is on display. In chapter 5, verse number 14 Haman's wife and his friend says, go make gallows for Mordecai to be hanged upon. The gallows was not a a platform across a beam for we think of hanging someone or strangulation. It wasn't that. In Hebrew, it was a little word, and and I couldn't find the pronunciation, but it was three letters, E-T-S. And that meant a tree, literally a piece of wood or a pole. What they're talking about here, both in archaeology and ancient literary sources, this wasn't going to be a public hanging, this was going to be a public impalement. Consider the following. The gallows of the Old West had not even been invented yet. Impalement was a method of execution well known for the Assyrian period a couple of centuries before the time of Xerxes. Matter of fact, numerous Assyrian kings depicted impalement as a method of use for execution or shaming a corpse. It was for humiliation. The Greek historian Herodotus records that the Persian king Darius impaled about 3,000 men from the city of Babylon. When we get to chapter number six, Now the story has changed with Zeresh as they find out who Mordecai is. But she says, build those things 50 cubits high. 50 cubits high, 75 feet in the air. Literally a public display of shame and humiliation. Why would they have wanted to build those gallows so high? In Old Testament law, a man that was hanged on a tree was a cursed man. In Deuteronomy 21 22, it says, if a man had committed a sin worthy of death, I know the end of the story. <laughs> I'm thinking about what God has done for us. It says, and to be put to death and hang him on a tree. The other reason was a was a, it was a public humiliation, but it was also, there was a number 50 that was important because it was said that The idea of the timing of Mordecai's hanging in addition to the height of this scaffolding was 50 days after the Passover. And it says that's the point when Haman had originally issued the edict to kill all the Jews that was under. So this was 50 days later on a 50 cubit high scaffolding that was destroying Mordecai the Jew and a sign for what was coming for the Jews. It was significant. As I read this story, I thought about the humiliation of gallows. And I couldn't help but think of another man who hung on a tree for you and me. And those gallows, that pole, that tree, was turned into glory for us. The Bible says in Matthew 27, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. When he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. They crucified him, parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Parted my garments among them upon my vesture. They cast lots, in verse 36, and says, And sitting down they watched him there. For sake of time, in Mark 15, 17, 225, go back and read it. They, they clothe him in royal apparel. And it says in verse number 22, They bring him to the place called Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull. They gave him drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he didn't receive it. Then they crucified him and they parted his garments, casting lots upon them that every man should take. It was the third hour and they crucified him. Let me remind you just as Mordecai's story was not over, Christ's story was not over either. The best was yet to come, the chiasm was in full effect. The role reversal had taken place. And so now we see that Christ hanging on the cross was the biggest chiasm that we could find in Scripture. And God turned Mordecai's gallows into a place of honor and prestige. He was paraded around as king, he was given the kingly glory. And he can do the same thing for you and I. He can take unrighteousness to righteousness. He can take a life of sin to a life that's a blessing for him and holiness for him. And the greatest thing, the greatest chiasm is this. He can take you from death to life. I'll leave you with this this morning. All of you came in with a box this morning. And in your box, you've got everything that you can control. You got your life, you got your kids. Everything's in the box. We hold on to the box. Man, don't mess with my box. Some of you need to give your box up. We don't understand stuff. And the biggest problem with our box is us. You need to take that box. You need to leave it right there. Let's bow our heads this morning. God, thank you for your word, Lord. God, you you got my box. But it's in action I've seen your hand of control nothing's a coincidence our steps are ordered by you I thank you for that god I pray you'd help those underneath my voice to give up their box throw it all in trust you as Matt sings we do business with God this morning as you see fit for me it was in the garden he prayed not my will but thine he had for his own grief, but sweat drops of blood for my